Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April 6th, and our scripture reading for today is 1 Kings chapter 8. The great temple that God has allowed David to prepare for and Solomon to build is now about to be dedicated. That's what the story of chapter 8 is all about. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. Did you get that description? These guys were important in the kingdom of God. They had earned because of their age, their wisdom, their maturity, their standing among the tribes, their integrity, their virtue, that they are called elders, heads, chiefs. And King Solomon gathered them together for this reason, that they may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David Ir David, Ir David, the city of David. Now, that's the old Jebusite city that I talked about in the previous podcast that was called Zion. Now, in case you think I just made that up, look at the end of verse 1, that they may bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, Ir David, which is Zion. There is only one Mount Zion. Now, all over the world, there are Mount Zion churches, there are Mount Zion cities, but there's only one city of God, Mount Zion, Mount Zion, which is the city of David. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Etanim. Etanim. Etanim is the name of the month that is the seventh month called Tishri. In the Bible, again, you're going to have pre-exilic names, which are the old names from the Tanakh, that is the Hebrew names that God gave, and then the new names, the Babylonian names, the Aramaic names that the months were called after the exile. So don't let this confuse you. Remember, we're learning how to read and study the Bible all the way through. And if you've not noticed, what I'm trying to do is not just give you a running homily or commentary on these chapters, I'm trying to help you to understand how the Bible is put together. Why? Because it's the story of our great God. It's history. It's his story. And over and over again, we need to be reminded that God is in control of history. He is sovereign. He raises up and he puts down. He sets one in place and puts another out of place. This is why you and I, as followers of the true and living God, do not need to be worried and concerned and fretting about all that's happening in the world today. Our God will have the last say. You say, well, why does God allow all of these things? I cannot give you a good answer to why God allows 
evil. I cannot give you a good answer as to why God does what he does. After all, I'm not God. He is transcendent. He is above us. His ways are not our ways. What I do know is we can trust the hand and the heart of a loving, merciful God. And we know that he will have the last say. Hundreds of years may come and go. Thousands of years may come and go. But God will have the last say. And so he is in control. Now, as you'll recall, it was in the spring of the year that the temple began to be built. It was Zeev, which is the word for blossoming. That's right. It was springtime, Aviv, and it was the second month. Now we're in the seventh month, what is also the seventh month of the year as far as the religious year is concerned. Remember, it starts in the spring with Aviv or the post-exilic name Nisan, and in the seventh month, which is this etanim, or this month that we call Tishri. It is the seventh month that is the beginning of the civil year. That is Rosh Hashanah. That is the Yom Teruah, the blowing of the trumpet, the day of the trumpeting, which signal the civil new year. This is when all the taxes were calculated. This is when the sabbatical year started. This is when the year of Yovel, of Jubilee, started. All of that was not in the spring of the year, but in the fall of the year around harvest time. And the scripture says that that is when the temple was finished and dedicated. And so why did they gather together? Because the temple, like the tabernacle, had three different sections to it. It had the great outer court where you had the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice. You see, when you came in the door, the first thing you saw was blood. Why? Because you couldn't go any farther without it, without a substitutionary atonement, without a sacrifice, without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins. That's not just Tanakh. That's not just Torah. That is the Berit Hadashah. That's the new covenant. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then after that, you came face to face with a beautiful uh, laver. Uh, that's where we get our word lavatory. It's a wash basin because the priest had a bloody job and it was dirty work in the sense of they would get their hands defiled and their feet defiled and blood splattered on them and dealing with these animals they had to before they went in to the next section of the tabernacle they had to be washed and cleansed so in this particular temple not in the tabernacle which just had one labor one wash basin here Solomon had thousands upon thousands of gallons of water why because thousands of sacrifices were made and he had smaller wash basins all alongside the temple. And you had these wash basins with bulls that were facing each way, representing the 12 tribes of Israel that were pointing to the four points of the compass on earth and where God reigns and where God lives everywhere. And so you had the outer court. Then you had the what was called in the New Testament, the Haron, that is the holy place. And it was magnificent in Solomon's temple. And then you had 
the naon or the naas, that is the holy of holies. It was a cube. It was a cubicle. And it was fascinating as it's described that when they brought in the ark, they brought it in under the shadow of the cherubim. Now, a cherub is a particular class of angel. There are classes of angels. Paul even mentions this. The rabbi of the New Testament, the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, in Ephesians chapter 6, and he talks about that there are principalities and powers and dominions. All of those are various ranks of demonic and angelic beings, good and evil, elect and evil, and angels. Then there are the seraph, the burning one, seraphim, burning ones. That's Isaiah chapter 6. And the seraphim, plural, I am on the end, they are the ones that have six wings. And with two, they cover their face. With two, they cover their feet. With two, they fly around. And day and night, throughout eternity, past and present and future, where there is no time, that's oxymoronic for me to talk in tense, because it is the forever eternal present. They cease not day and night, according to the word of God, crying out, holy, 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 kadosh, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Then there is the guardian group of angelic beings called cherubim, single cherub. This is what Lucifer was, according to the prophet Isaiah and Ezekiel, the anointed cherub guarding the glory of God, the shkenah, the manifest presence of God. This is the highest ranking of angels because they guard the glory of God and the presence of God. And God said, I want you, David, to tell your son Solomon to build these magnificent creatures. As you'll recall, that on the ark, the only piece of furniture that was in the holy place, the holy of holies, that sacred dwelling place of God among his people, it was a chest, and it had a lid on top of it. The lid is called the mercy seat in English. It is the hilasterion in the Greek New Testament and in the old Septuagint. It is the place where mercy is found. And on top of that lid, and in one piece of gold connected to it, it was just one piece, there were two cherubim, two cherubs facing each other and their wings touched. But that was in the tabernacle. That same ark of the tabernacle was brought into this temple, but it was placed under cherubs that had 15 feet wingspans. That's right, seven and a half feet on one side, seven and a half feet on the other, and their wings touched. It was a 30 feet wide cube and their wings touched each other, and then they touched the edge of the tabernacle walls. And underneath those cherubim, these huge wings, was placed the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Scripture says that the Ark only had in it at this time the tablets of stone. But according to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4, it originally had in the tabernacle in the wilderness three elements or items in it. It had the golden pot 
that was filled with manna. It had Aaron's rod that budded to show his authority, anointed by God to be the priest and the high priest, and then the tablets written by the finger of God. And so by the time of the building of the temple, all that was in there was the tablets itself. That's what it says in verse 9. Nothing was in the ark except two tablets of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb. In other words, those tablets were put in, listen to me, they were put in 480 years earlier, and they had been resting there in that ark. When David moved it, when the Philistines looked inside of it, those tablets were not moved, and so they were there. It said that they were put there at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel that when they came out of Egypt. And so they were still there. And the Bible says that that it is under. Isn't this a wonderful thing? I hope you'll always remember this. Sometimes we, we think when we read in the Bible about God taking care of us under his wings and under his wings are protection. Under his wings is shelter. Under his wings are refuge for all of us. Now, listen, that's not talking about angelic wings in the sense of what we normally think of. In the shadow of his wings means in the place where God meets with his people. Under the shadow of his wings is the Holy of Holies. Under the shadow of his wings is where we meet God. That's where heaven and earth meet. And that is where there's protection is where we are under the shadow of the Almighty. When we are under his protective wings, where is that? In his presence. Who may enter his presence? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Those who are not lying and lifting up their soul to vanity and selfish deceit. Those of us who have come with the cleansing of the blood of the altar, the blood of his own dear son. That is where we meet God. We meet God under the shadow of the cherubim. What's he talking about? He's talking about that great temple where the glory of God was so great. Look at what it says in verse 10. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place, not the holy of holies, that the cloud filled the cloud. What cloud? The same cloud that led the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. The same cloud that was a covering by day became a fire by night to not only guide the people when it was daylight, but guide them in the night. Aren't you glad that God guides us in the night and gives us light? Aren't you glad that we don't have to doubt in darkness what God has shown shown us in plain light. God is with us. And if you're a follower of Yeshua HaMashiach, if you are a follower of Jesus the Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, who has now risen from the dead and declared to be the Son of God with great power, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, by the resurrection of the dead, he is alive and you can meet him today and walk with him today. And so much was the glory cloud filling the house of the Lord that the priest could not continue serving there. They had to get out because the glory of the Lord filled the place. Would to God that in our lives we would say, God, I can't take it anymore. 
I am so filled with your presence. I, I, I just, I can't take it anymore. You see, the Bible said through the prophet Malachi that if we would trust God, if we would prove him, if we would believe what he says, if we would give according to how he has blessed us, not according to our own dictates, but according to how he's blessed us, if we would honor him with the first fruits of our substance, if we would give him our lives, if we would give him our money, our families, our houses, our land, whatever it is, The prophet Malachi, the last voice from God before the Old Testament canon was closed, said he would open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you and I could not receive. May God grant it to us as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.